My name is Zach Daniel. I'm the lead pastor here at Antioch. And we, as we have started this January, uh, have been learning about God's passion and his plan for your joy. We've been learning about God's passion and his plan for your joy. We've been learning about God's passion and his plan for your joy. We've been learning about God's passion and his plan for your joy. There you go. You got it. We've been learning about God's passion and his plan for your joy. And uh, we've been focusing in on one key verse, John chapter 17. I want to invite you to turn uh, with me now to that verse. Pull out your Bibles, pull out your phones, uh, wherever you have the scripture. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we have them underneath the seat rack in front of you. You can open God's word. We're in John chapter 17. This one key verse that we've been looking at, uh, learning about God's passion and his plan for our joy. And this is the, these are the words of Jesus. And he says, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. Here we've seen that Jesus has this full measure of joy. He's the most joyful human that's ever walked the face of the earth. The most joyful being that's ever uh, been. He's an expert in joy. And he is saying here, I have a full measure of joy that I don't just want to keep to myself, but I want it to be in my people. That Jesus wants you to be marked by joy just as he is marked by joy. And we've seen that in addition to having a passion and a plan for your joy, right, that his plan is spelled out in his word. He said, I've given them these words. I've given them my teaching. I've given them the scriptures so that in them they may find joy, that when we take the teachings of Jesus and we let it sink deep in our lives and transform us and shape the way we live, one of the fruits that comes out of us is of a life marked by joy. And we've seen that within his word, within his plan, there are precepts for our joy. There are commands that lead to our joy. Last week we learned there are practices for our joy. There are specific things that you and I can do to practice that are found in God's word that help us to grow in joy. And today I want to point out to you a key, a key word in here that he uses the word so that they may have the full measure of my joy. I want you to focus in on that word, they. And sometimes we miss this when we're reading the scriptures that Jesus, while he is passionate about your joy and my joy, he's speaking here about a people. He's speaking here about a community. He's speaking here about the church, his people, that they would be marked by joy. And so what I want you to see, an important part for your joy journey and mine that God has for us is not just his precepts. Those are important. It's not just his practices. Those are important. But that God has a people for our joy. Part of our joy journey is intertwined with the people of God. God's desire from Old Testament to New is that his people would be marked with joy. And for us to walk in the full measure of Jesus' joy that he has for us, part of that process, part of that experiencing that and growing into that is deeply tied to the people of God, is deeply tied to the church of Jesus Christ. And from Old Testament to New, God communicates this and communicates this. In the 
Old Testament, uh, as he was building his people, he gave them annual festivals. I believe there were five of them that they were to perform that were feasts and parties, celebrations that marked their year. Because God is intentional about having his people walk in joy. Uh, We've been learning about the Hebrew words for praise over the last few weeks. And one of the, the words that they would use to praise is halal. It's where halal, it's where we get hallelujah from. And this word means to shout clamorously, foolishly, to celebrate. So it's not, it's not the, well, okay. No, it's it's acting like a fool, right? I've, I've heard it said, everybody's going to be a fool for something. We might as well be a fool for Jesus, right? That was one of the words they used for praise. On into the New Testament, right? In Acts chapter 2, when it's describing the early church, one of the things that you see throughout that description is that their hearts were filled with gladness, that they were marked by joy in their relationship with God and joy in their relationship with one another. And joy is a powerful witness to the world. And I want to teach you on that. I want to share that with you because we don't often associate the church with joy, right? We can associate the church with, they're going to tell me what I should do, right? They're going to tell me a lot of things I shouldn't do, but we don't necessarily connect the people of God and joy. But I want to tell you an experience that I had when I was a teenager uh, I love basketball. If you've been a part of this church, uh, you know that. I know a big surprise uh, that I'm going to talk about basketball for a moment. Um, but I got that love from my dad. My dad loves basketball. And so growing up, we would watch basketball. We would go to basketball games. He worked at Baylor. And so we would go to the Baylor basketball games. And right now, both the men and the women are number one in the nation. That's amazing. When I was a teenager, they were not. They were uh, whatever the opposite of number one is, at least for the men. And so going to the games, um, you had to really love basketball to go to the games, right? The team wasn't that good. The fans weren't that into it. The competition wasn't that good. And so it wasn't the most, I don't know, joyful or exciting place. Like you had to be a hardcore basketball fan to go to those games. But my dad would take me. But one, uh, one year, um, he took me not to one of the Baylor basketball games, but he took me to an event called March Madness. Now, if you know anything about college sports, you know college basketball, their end-of-the-year tournament, it's called March Madness, uh, and it's where they bring the best teams in the nation play for the championship. And so he pulled me out of school because they were having one of their regional sites in Austin. He said, hey, we're going to go down here, and it's going to be 12 hours of basketball nonstop. Now, if you're not a basketball fan, you're like, oh, my goodness, that sounds terrible. To a basketball fan, I'm like, this is going to be great. We go down there, and it was uh, an unbelievable experience. Because as we get there, what I noticed, at the Baylor games, there was no crowd. At this game, it's at Frank Irwin Center, UT people. And we had to park so far away because there were so many people there. And so you're walking in, and just kind of the anticipation is building. And then I see these type of fans that I've never seen anything like them before. They were Arkansas Razorback fans. We have any Arkansas Razorbacks in the church? Okay. So get this. I'm sitting there. Like, I'm used to sedate, quiet fans who just get upset at refs. That's, that's all I've experienced. 
these guys and, and gals had on these uh, maroon plastic headpieces that were hogs because they're the Razorbacks, right? And it wasn't just the, the elite fans. It was everyone there. There were so many hog hats sitting all around us. And then as the game started, as their team came out, they did this cheer, this cheer where they're calling the hogs. It's called Woo Pig Suey. I want to I play it for you. I found a YouTube clip. I want to play it for you just so you can get an idea of what was going on. So if you can pull that clip up and take everybody into the Woo Pig Suey experience. Now, that's at a football stadium where the sound can get out. We're in an indoor arena, absolutely filled with people, and they're doing this cheer over and over and over again. And as a 14 or 15-year-old kid, I was just amazed at this. This was the most exciting thing I had ever been to. It was like people were so passionate they were so into it. They were so into their team, right? It was unlike anything I'd ever experienced before. And so we're watching the games unfold, and each game would come down to the end, and you're sitting next to people that you don't really know, but you're all in this together, and you're cheering for these teams, and then some of them would win, and you'd be so excited, and some of them would lose, and you'd leave so dejected. But it was like the whole place was so into it, hour after hour after hour. It was magical. And when we got done, I was like, Dad, this is maybe the greatest thing I have ever been to. Because I love basketball, but it was just the atmosphere and the passion and the joy of the people. And I know that they had things, you know, I'm sure that there were people there who were worried about their jobs. I'm sure there were people there who were worried about their health. I'm sure there were people there who were worried about their finances. It wasn't like there were no problems and everything was perfect. But there in that moment, as a group of people, there was just passion and joy and life. And it was amazing. And if I wanted you to fall in love with basketball, I'm not going to give you a rule book. I, I'm not going to give you a history of the game. I'm not going to take you to uh, one of those uh, Baylor games of old where it's very quiet and sedate and mostly people are just upset at the refs. I'm not going to take you to that. All I'm going to do is I'm going to look, where is this next round of March Madness? And I'm going to get us tickets, and I'm going to take you into that because I know if you go in and you experience the joy that's there, you may not understand basketball, but you will be like, man, that was absolutely amazing. And at the same level, I believe that God desires his church to be marked by joy, to be marked by passion to be marked by celebration so that when a lost and dying world looks in, they're like, I don't understand this Jesus, but wow, this is amazing. I believe that's the power of a joyful church. 
And this is not about a particular personality. It's not about a particular style. Uh, it's not about just kind of, well, this is just the way that I am. This is not, a, in love, this is not about you and me. This is about the glory of Jesus. And it's the people of God coming together, and in the midst of our problems, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the unresolved anxieties of life, which I have them too, is saying, man, I'm going to look up at Jesus. And he is so awesome. He is so worthy. He is so amazing. He is so good that in the midst of whatever is going on, I can find joy. And I can celebrate. And we can be that type of community for one another. Now, I believe that every, uh, every ethnicity has a redemptive strength that they offer to the global church. I believe that if you want to learn how to pray, you need to go be around the Korean church. If you don't know, we've got one fan of the Korean church over here. There you go, Kevin. You got it. So you, you may not know this, but in Korea, they have this place called Prayer Mountain where they have these hollowed out kind of caves on the mountain where people will take their vacation and go up into the mountain to pray and to seek the Lord. There's a prayer meeting going on in Los Angeles that I saw of Koreans that meet, I believe it's from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. to pray, and it's thousands of Koreans in Los Angeles. Seeing God, if you want to learn how to pray, you need to go be around the Koreans. I believe that the Chinese church has something to offer the global church in the area of understanding what it's like to live through persecution and to teach the world that Jesus is worthy even of our sufferings. I believe that's the witness of the Chinese church. I believe in the area of celebration and joy that the global church has much to learn from the black church. And when I say black church, what I mean are churches whose congregations have historically been made up predominantly of uh, black people. And if you've ever had the chance to, maybe you grew up in one like this, maybe you've been to one like this, maybe you've seen, but if you've ever been around it, they have something to teach the global church about joy and celebration. And I'm so thankful for the influence that the black church has had on my life. I had several really formative experiences for me as a part of the, the black church. When I was in college, I worked at a camp that was, it was a Christian camp. It was predominantly African-American. Uh, there were a handful of, of white guys there, like very small number. And it wasn't just, uh, it was, it was uh, black culturally, Right, so it was a different world than what I had grown up with in the suburbs of the city that I grew up in. It's just different. And so there was a lot of it was stretching. I was like, I don't understand why we're doing this or how we're doing this. It took me a while to grasp it. But I really enjoyed it. And one of the things that marked me from my time there was the way that they would worship. And we were working with kids from the hardest neighborhoods in America. We were working with kids with some of the most significant challenges. The neighborhoods that are on the news, on the national news for crime, those were the kids that we were working with each and every week. And so it was routine to have 15-year-olds who had gotten multiple people pregnant. It was routine to have 15-year-olds that had been shot at and had shot at others. It was routine to have 15-year-olds who didn't know where this parent was or that parent was. That was just kind of, those were the kids that we were ministering to. So it was very, very challenging. As a counselor, we were tasting the pain 
and suffering of the world. And yet, in the breaks in between the sessions, they would pull all the counselors together. And they would give us a time for rest, and then they would take us into a time of worship. And growing up, the worship that I had been uh, around was fairly subdued. It was, I mean, you were into it if you actually sang the hymn, right? And, and only in a very sober tone. You know, that's what it looked like. And I go into this, and man, people are passionate. Their arms are up. They're praising Jesus. There's sweat coming down people's faces. There's jumping. There are these prayers that I really believed heaven was going to rip open in that moment. I mean, it was so passionate and joyful and celebratory. And I was like, if this is what heaven is like, please, I want to go there today. It was unbelievable. And you could just sense the presence of God all over that environment. It was amazing. It ruined me for normal kind of what I was used to worship. I can't put the hands back in the pockets after that. I mean, it was unbelievable. And what I saw, what was so amazing, was in the midst of the pain and the challenges and the problems that we were facing, and we would come into those times so empty, so poured out, so like, I don't know if I can make it anymore. I'm homesick. I'm tired. This is really, really hard. And we would come in there, and the joy as we gathered together in worship around who Jesus was, you would leave that place refreshed. You would leave that place filled up. You would leave that place with strength to go into the week ahead, to be facing some of the hardest situations you can imagine, and be an ambassador of hope and of love and of joy and of peace and to speak life into kids. But it was the joy celebrated right there in the worship service and the presence of God that we encountered together that filled us to go back out into the world around us. And I learned from the black church about celebration and joy. And several years ago, there was a really horrific shooting uh, in South Carolina. Uh, you saw about it in the news where a, a white gentleman came into a, a black church and, and shot and killed a number of people. And I want to show you a news clip of the black church's response after this horrific act. Uh, it was on CNN, the, their response, and there's a commentator named Van Jones who tries to describe for a watching world who can't figure out why this group of people could celebrate in the midst of the pain of life. And he tries to describe what the black church has to offer, to teach. so much. They could teach on so many things, but on this in particular, to teach a watching world. And so if we can play that clip. The difference in the black church between happiness and joy. Yeah, this right. is joy. This is joy. But people watching at home just may not understand how can they be dancing? How can they be singing? How can there be this, this spirit of enthusiasm there in the wake of this horror? Uh, in the black church, there's a distinction between happiness, which is a kind of a, those external circumstances are good, so we're happy, versus joy. We say, hallelujah, anyhow. I can find something inside myself, inside my circumstance, inside my faith, inside my God, inside my family, inside of who we are, to find some joy anyhow. And you have to demonstrate that. You have to celebrate that. You have to pull that out now. That's not happiness. That's joy. 
And, and joy has a power to heal people. And unfortunately, in this part of the country, the African-American community has had to practice joy anyhow. Hallelujah anyhow. And that's what you're seeing today. That's what you're seeing. So watching world, how can you have joy in the midst of what's going on? And they're saying there's a depth in Jesus that we can find to say hallelujah anyhow. I want to encourage you to turn to your neighbor and say hallelujah anyhow. Turn to your other neighbor and say it again. My wife and I, we're working on that hallelujah anyhow. And please hear me. This is not a, when you express a problem, somebody trying to put a Band-Aid on it by just saying, well, hallelujah anyhow. No, no, no. This is something that connects so deeply to the pain and suffering of the world. And sitting in that place together, being able to find Jesus and being able to find joy in him to say hallelujah anyhow in the midst of whatever is going on, in the midst of I don't know how I'm going to pay this bill, but there, there you go. I don't know about this medical diagnosis. I'm nervous about what the doctor has said or is going to say. Man, my job, my boss is so stressful and it's so overwhelming and I just don't know how long I can keep going. My kids are driving me crazy. I know I'm supposed to like this, but parenting is so hard. My marriage is on the rocks, and it just feels so difficult, and I don't know how long I can keep going. You get it, right? There's something for us in the hallelujah anyhow, and this is not just a kind of a positive look on life. I want to take you into God's word to show you this. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 4 through 10, the apostle Paul, who knew much about suffering and knew much about joy, is talking to the Corinthian churches, writing to them about this topic. And he says to them, he says, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. He's listing all these things that he's been through. All these trials that he's been through, beatings, imprisonment, riot, hard works. And he says, with the weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live, beaten and yet are not killed. Now look at this, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, sorrowful yet always rejoicing. And so this is not, a, we can't acknowledge places where we're hurting. This is not a, our life is just perfect and all my circumstances are perfect and then I'll, I'll worship. But there's something that Jesus has for us in the midst of the sorrows that you and I face today and will face. That there is a capacity that we can find joy in the midst of the pain of this life. We can find the hallelujah Anyhow, and that's where God wants to lead us. That's where God wants to build us as a community. Rich Velotas, who is a pastor in New York City, made this comment uh, about the black church in the area of celebration and joy that I wanted to share with you. He's talking in particular about black preaching. 
And he says this, he said, black preaching flourishes inside a culture of affirmation, anticipation, participation, and celebration. The black church has much to teach the world regarding the collaborative nature of preaching. Affirmation is there exists an affirmation of the preacher, of the preaching from the congregation validating this live encounter. There's a there's a back and forth nature. There's participation, there's call and response that creates a synthesis of movement culminating in celebration. Now get this. The preaching moment in the black tradition is foremost about celebration in a world of pain. The powers are put in their place. Jesus is Lord. The fullness of black preaching is not in the individual delivery, but in the synergy of presence. It's a communal enterprise in which the preacher and the congregation dance in unity, in unison. And I love that. It is, it is foremost about celebration, even in a world of pain. And this is a place that I believe that God wants to grow us. As we're talking about prepare the feast, when I think of a feast, I think of joy, right? In our year-long spiritual growth initiative, where we're trying to grow, is we're trying to prepare the feast for the city. We're trying to engage the spiritual gifts of our church. And we're trying to help everyone find a place to serve on mission. That's what we're doing. But there's a spirit behind it that I believe that God wants to grow us in. And that I, as your pastor, want to challenge you in. I want to call you up. I don't want us to look at where we are today and think, well, this is just the way things are, right? Whenever I get to that place where it's just status quo is that's what we're going for, I need to resign. My job is to challenge you lovingly, to call you up lovingly, to lead us forward in the purposes of God. And I want to challenge all of us in this area of joy and celebration and hallelujah anyhow. And I want to speak particularly to my seasoned saints in the room. Because some of you, you know what it's like to go through the sorrow and the pain of life and to find Jesus in the midst of it and to know that hallelujah anyhow. And what I want you to know is that there are a lot of folks coming into our church each and every week that maybe they haven't been in church in a while. Maybe this is their first time back. I met a, a girl recently who said this was her first time in church in seven years. And she said, I, I loved it. It was so amazing today. Right? People are coming in and seasoned saints in our church. I want to challenge you to step up and lead in this area of celebration and worship. And hallelujah, anyhow, right? We need you to show us the way. And there is a lost and dying world, many times walking in our doors on Sunday morning, that is looking for a people that are marked by joy. To look at them and be like, what do they have that I don't? I believe God is in this place. So again, this, please hear me. This is not about a personality this is not about a particular style or, 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 you know, just superficial things. This is about the glory of Jesus, right, being on display. <clears throat> I love this quote from Tim Keller where he says this about uh, Christianity. He says, Christianity empowers its people to sit in the midst of the world's sorrows, tasting the coming joy, right? We're in a world where there is pain, and many of us are experiencing that each and every week. And yet the gospel allows us to taste the coming joy of heaven and to experience that now. 
So while we're in this season of prayer and fasting, and we're believing for that one big thing, this last week we did, uh, we were fasting from food. So whether you fasted a meal, a day, a couple of days, the whole week, I want to commend you on that. Way to go. This week, starting tomorrow and going through till next Sunday morning, we're fasting from media consumption. So enjoy eating this week, but put down your phone, put down your laptop, put down your YouTube, put down your Disney Plus, put down your earbuds, whatever it is, put down your podcasts. So that means I'm not going to really be dialed in on how the Lakers are doing this week. That's going to be okay. I'm not going to listen to all the Super Bowl hype leading up to it. I might not be aware of what's going on in the Trump impeachment. It'll be okay, right? We're putting those things down for the week in order to focus and to feast and to fill our minds on the things of Jesus. And as you're believing for your one big thing, I want you to be contending for joy. Next week as our service, we're going to learn about prayers for joy, and we're going to do that by praying because God wants us to contend for joy. It's something that we can bring to him in prayer. And I want you to encourage you to be doing that this week. And then the following week, starting the day after Super Bowl Sunday. So watch Super Bowl. It's awesome. And then the next day, we're going into a week-long negativity fast. So no complaining, no criticism, no grumbling, no negativity, all, all of that. things. And I'll tell you more about that next week. Someone was asking me on the way in, though, on the, on the media fast, um, they were saying, you know, what are the rules around this? There are no rules, okay? So you, you think about the different ways that you consume various media. I had someone who told me their deal was not kind of uh, watching something on a screen. Their deal was reading fiction, and it was their escape from the pain and challenges that were going on. And they sensed the Lord prompting them to put down the, the, the extra reading for a season in order to focus on him. That might be your thing. So I want to encourage you. You pray. And the Lord's going to show you that thing that you go to to fill your mind and fill your time. And we want to take that this week to seek the Lord. Back to the topic, though, of joy, I want you to see that we're fasting and we're contending, not just for breakthrough, but we're contending for greater joy. Greater joy, not just in our individual life, but greater joy as a church, as a community, that we would come together and we really would be a feast for the city. As we close, if we can get the worship team to come on up, we're going to close a little uh, early today. Um, but I want to read you this quote from John Wesley, uh, talking about this topic of joy as the church and talking about, in particular, worship. John Wesley's the founder of the Methodist movement, and he said this. He said, sing lustily. Who knows? Sing lustily, the old school language. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware of singing as if you were half dead. Beware of singing as if you were half asleep. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor more ashamed of it being heard than when you sung the songs of Satan. Whoa, okay. So you get that, right? He's saying, hey, we'll get hyped at the Arkansas game. We'll get hyped at that concert. We'll get so into it. And then we come before the Lord and we just, I don't know. I don't have a great voice. I'll just kind of be half asleep or half dead. He said, no, 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 no. Come on, Jesus is so much more worthy. Jesus is so much more worthy of our praise. So I want to lead you in the hallelujah anyhow. And the way we're going to do that 
is uh, we're going to take communion as we go to the Lord together and to remember that he's worthy of even in our pain of finding him and that he has joy for us even in the midst of the pain of this world. And as we take communion, the worship team is going to lead us. And I want to challenge you and encourage you to put into practice the teaching and the words of Jesus that we've heard today, that we would live out being that people of joy for one another and for our city. So I'm going to pray, and then the officiants will come forward with communion. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you are so good that even in the midst of anxiety, even in the midst of things that are unresolved, even in the midst of things that seem like they're not going the way that we would hope they would go, Lord. God, that we can find joy in that place because you're that good. And you've brought us into a people that are contending for joy. And I pray that we would be an encouragement to one another, that we would be uh, spark plugs for one another, helping us to fire off in joy, that you would grow us into a more joyful community that would reflect your joy to the world. We're asking for all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. When you're ready, you can come forward and take communion, and then the worship team will lead us. What gift of love could offer to a king? What weight of worth could be held within my offering? When he alone is worthy, a glory song is inscribed upon my heart. This treasure held in. of Christ has declared that there is not.